Well, good morning. Welcome to Randall Church. My name is Pastor Milo. We are so glad that you're here. And uh, we just want to, to let you know the power of story. So the reason why we show videos before baptism is because if you just saw someone's baptism, you missed out on the story that goes behind it. And so we'll do everything that we can to be able to share stories and be able to tell what, what life changes has happened. And so when you look at Phoebe and you look at her family and what Mike and Nicole have done there as a family, look at Peter and the people that you've got here this morning, that's, that's honestly even a little bit more important than anything that I have to say today, right? Don't amen that. Whoever amen. <laughs> I sh- <laughs> Should have saw that coming. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the power of story. So what's this week's big, big story? Huge story, if you will. This week's election caught us all by surprise. Uh, the pollsters would, would definitely have shown that none of us saw this coming. None of us would have seen a future and anticipate a reality of President Trump at the helm of the Capitol building. But here we are. And yet some of us in this room even, because Erie County was just as divided as the rest of the the country, in this room there are people who are very excited that they see this as a great victory for people of faith. And then in this room there are some of you who shake your head in disgust at what just happened this week in our election. So most of us were keenly aware before this election of the division that existed in our country. Uh, But this election has brought it to light. And it's not just a division between the left and the right, the liberals and the conservatives. It's not just a division uh, there. Uh, It's not just a division between the rich and the poor. Uh, Now we're starting to see the urban and, and the rural, the educated, the uneducated, the north versus the south, the sacred versus the secular, the free market versus the environmentalist. Uh, you're starting to see all of these divisions that came, uh, came to light in this election. The white majority and then the growing minority in this country. The boomers and the millennials. Uh, even those who embrace technology versus those who ignore it. I was eating lunch yesterday and uh, the, the, the guy who was at the counter said something in regards to uh, those millennials. And I said, well, be careful. I'm pretty close to one of those millennials. And he said, well, you know, you actually work for a living so you don't count. I didn't tell him what I did, because if I did, he may not think that that was actual work either, so. But it seems like everywhere we look, there's a fight brewing. Where is it realistic for a Christ follower, where a Jesus follower, where are we supposed to stand in all of this? What, what are we supposed to do with all of this? We're in this series, In God We Trust, and it's not any more fitting that this is how we would look at this time and this season in our country. The election is over, the votes are in. Our nation's leader has been selected. Our God is still on his throne. And this morning the sun came up, right? We studied Ecclesiastes this summer. The sun came up this morning and the sun shines on those who voted for Trump and those who didn't vote for Trump. And all of those other uh, subdivisions that I just gave you, the sun is still shining. It still came up this morning. And today is a fresh start, a fresh start to be able to say, in God we trust. You see, Jesus died on the cross to rescue every single person on this planet. 
regardless of what their emotional connection is to the local church or what their emotional connection is to the United States of America. If they are born in a different country and they absolutely hate everything that we stand for, Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, just like he died on the cross for you and for me. In God, we trust. And we need to start there this morning before we go anywhere else. Last week, we did talk. The message title last week was, In God We Trust for More Than the Value of a Dollar Bill. It seemed like as things were being played out on election night, I don't know if you were listening or watching or paying attention, uh, how true that actually ended up being. For more than the value of a dollar bill, the election night, the Dow futures plunged over 750 points, getting close to 800 points that the, that the uh, Dow futures projected. The only other situation that this had happened in the history of Wall Street, uh, now President Trump was about to be elected, the only other time this had happened was when 9-11 and the towers right there on Wall Street. There's something the matter. There's something people are very afraid of. Had the market actually followed this projection, as we talked last week, literally the value of the dollar bill would have plummeted Wednesday last week. In God we trust for more than the value of a dollar bill. Why is this? Well, because when people get scared, they tend to hold back. Fear does that. We tend to hold back when we're afraid. 2 Timothy, though, 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. We do not live in a spirit of fear. This morning, will you refuse with me to live in a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind? I don't want fear to cause you to hold back and miss out what God has for your life. I don't want to lead this church and there to be fear holding us back as a church for what God wants to do in this community through this collection of believers. I don't want to miss that, but more importantly, the Heavenly Father doesn't want you to miss out on what He has for you because you're holding back and living in a spirit of fear. So if you've got your notes this morning, there's a white uh, note card that goes inside of your bulletin. The first question that we're going to ask you today is this. What if I hold nothing back and invest it all? What if I hold nothing back and invest it all? Are you willing to invest yourself? You see, I'm convinced that the Christian life is really nothing more than a series of next steps. A series of small investments that start to build one on the next. And we are in a room full of smart people. We're in a room full of people perhaps with a sound mind. And you already know before I start this message what your next step is. You already know. Maybe you're here this morning. Your next step is to accept Christ. Maybe you're here this morning. Your next step is to stop living together and get married. Move forward and take that next step. Maybe your next step is to join the church. We just finished a DNA membership session. We're about to have a group of people come up here on the stage and join the church. It's a very exciting time, but maybe that's your next step. This morning you saw a baptism. Maybe you realize I have never taken the next step to be baptized. Maybe it's more personal and quiet. Maybe your next step is to stop looking at those filthy images on that computer, on that cell phone. Maybe your next step is to stop holding back and give a percentage of your gross income to what God is doing here in this church and around the world. Maybe your next step is begin going to celebrate recovery. Our partner church in North Tonawanda, we have Celebrate Recovery, meets every week where we work through and deal with people's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I'd love to see you there at least once a month. 
I lead worship there. I can't tell you who else is there, but you can come and find out. Maybe your next step is to begin seeing yourself in the mirror when you start your day. Not with the self-image that the world puts on you, but the image that Jesus Christ died for. That God sent his only son to redeem. What if I hold back and invest it all? Are you willing to invest yourself? Today, that's our title, In God We Trust, Even When I'm Afraid to Invest Myself. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I hope you would open it up. We are today in the book of Matthew. If you're using the Bibles in the pews this morning, we're on page 1037. 1037, you can find your way there. Use your iPhone, your iPad as well. version is a great way to find it. We're in Matthew chapter 25. As you are thumbing your way there, this is a, a passage that scholars refer to as the Olivet Discourse. Because Jesus is teaching, he's on the Mount of Olives, and there's three different teachings that he goes through and makes his way through, and this is the second of the three. If you've grown up in the church, this is a familiar passage to you. You've seen this before, and as we make our way through it, I pray that there will be a, a new application that you would get out of it today. Well, the first point I want to talk about this morning regarding investment is this. This is a fill-in. Investments require resources. Investment requires resources. Beginning in verse 14 of chapter 25. Again, it would be like a man, and he's saying again because he's in the middle of this discourse, and so he's made one statement, he's told one story, and now he's moving on. So he's, he's building a case as he's going through. So again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, some of you are looking in different translations or even the NIVs that we have uh, in the pews here. You are seeing the word talents rather than bags of gold. And that's having to do with a translation issue. So even uh, the, the New International Translation that I'm looking at here is the 2011 version. What's in the, the pews is that 1984 version. And so you've got that translation issue there. I grew up thinking that talents had to do with, like, he gave one person the talent to juggle, and he gave another person the talent to play the piano. But that's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about, it's talking about talents, is a, actually an ability to, uh, excuse me, the, the unit of money, and it's a rather large one. It's about 6,000 denarii. So the average wage then was about 300 denarii a, a year. So what he's giving, so one talent, or one bag of gold here, is actually... 20 years wages. And so what's going on here is really he's giving 20 years wages or think like a million dollars to each. So hopefully that gives you a little clarification. Verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. 17. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. As I was studying this week, I came across a sermon that was on this, and he told a great story. It's not my story, but I want to be able to share it with you because it illustrates this point so well. And in that pastor's church, there's a man, Ted, and he was sitting right there in the audience as he was sharing. So this man, Ted, he, his son came to him and, and began to talk to him about getting a car. He's between his junior and senior year. He says, Dad, I'd really, really like to get a car. And so he asked him about it once, and then he came back to him again, and the, 
the, the parents had gotten together and he said, son, if you, you really want a car, we'd just like you to read this book first and then we can talk about it. The summer between his junior and senior year. Came back to him two or three weeks later and he said, dad, can we, can we talk about that car? I, I really would like to have a car. And he said, how are you doing on the book? He said, well, it's on my nightstand and I've looked at it a couple of times. I haven't really read it. He said, well, why don't you just finish the book and then we'll, we'll talk about it. He did that two or three times throughout the summer. And he gets to the end of the summer and says, Dad, come on, I've, I've been pretty patient, I think. Can we, can we actually go out and look for this vehicle? Can we, can we shop for the car? And he said, you haven't read the book yet, have you? I said, how do you know? Yeah, yeah I've read some of it. Like, how do you know that? He said, you have not read the book. He says, go get it. And so he brings the book to him. And he doesn't go to the last page, but he goes about two pages in from the end. And written in the bottom, he said, thank you so much for doing what we asked you to do. Whenever you finish this book, come to me. I have the keys in my pocket to a car. It's at so-and-so's house. All you have to do is ask. This idiot <laughs> just had to read the book. Now, some of you parents are in here with teenagers, young people, and, and they're going to go home and start reading every book that you've got. <laughs> So you can try that, you know, you can put the book at the bottom of the clothing pile and they dig all the way through the clothes and put their clothes away and wash their clothes and they get and they read the book and they get to the end of it and they go, you know, well, you didn't get a car, but thanks for picking up your clothes. That was nice. <laughs> What's the point behind that story? Ted's son wasted his life away, wasted the summer away. Investment requires resources. And as we talked about in the series ahead of time, all the resources are his. The story that Ted is telling, the the, the, all he had to do was follow through with what his parents had asked him to do. The resources were there. All the resources are his. We are so blessed. If you woke up this morning and you had a roof over your head, and the water was not leaking on your face, you are blessed. If you went to your closet and tried to decide what to wear today, and you had more than one option, you are blessed. If you went into the kitchen and you had a refrigerator to get your milk and pour it into the cereal, which you had in the cupboard, you are blessed. If you got in a car this morning and drove in an air-conditioned vehicle, or maybe not this morning, but a climate-controlled vehicle, and made your way to church today, you are blessed. If you have eyes to see, you are blessed. If you have ears to hear, you are blessed. If you have a nose to smell with, chocolate chip cookies, you are blessed. If you have hands which you can reach out and grab a hold of those chocolate chip cookies and bring them to your mouth, you are blessed. If you have taste buds with which to savor, the chocolate sticking to your lips and going down into your, oh yes, you are blessed. And if you are here this morning and you do not know who God is or do not care, you say, this is a waste of my time to listen to this because I don't even believe in what you're talking about. Do you understand that the fact that you can be on this planet and not give God the credit that he is due. And he allows each and every one of us to choose him. You are blessed. And so when we look at this passage, 
And we realize that investment requires resources. We have all of God's resources at our disposal. Investment requires resources. So what if I hold nothing back and I invest it all? Secondly, investment recognizes responsibility. Investment recognizes responsibility. Now, some of you have been listening, and as soon as we got into this passage, you kind of checked out. You didn't catch all of what I was saying, except for maybe the chocolate chip cookies. You were tracking with me there. Because as soon as you saw this passage, you said, wait, one guy got one bag of gold, another guy got two bags of gold, and the other guy got five bags of gold. So it's not fair. And that's because all of our kids are on the sports teams where everybody gets the award. We think that everything needs to be fair and equal, and that's not the way that God works. Investment recognizes responsibility. God knows what's best here. And come on, if you really look at this passage and think about it, if this is really the equivalent of $1 million, I'm happy to be in the story. I don't know about you. Listen, I'll be that guy anytime. I'm happy to be in the story. I'm happy to be connected to it. The master's investment here recognizes the responsibility that he wants to give and what he expects out of each one of them. Some of you have been given a greater responsibility than others. Some of you in this room are in the medical profession. You have the responsibility to take care of someone's life. I don't need that responsibility. But God has given you that. Responsibility is something investment recognizes. Investment recognizes responsibility. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See how I have gained five more. His master replied, well done. Not good idea or great plan, awesome strategy. No, he said, well done. Remember that. Star that. Circle that, box that, exclamation point, smiley face, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. When we hold nothing back, when we invest it all, we find happiness. He says, come and share in my happiness. Come and see how happy you can be. See the joy of the Lord. When you hold nothing back and invest it all. I was eating at a restaurant at Milo's down the street. I don't own Milo's or anything. That was not an endorsement. I don't own the restaurant by any means. I, it's on my street, so that worked out nice. I just walked down and bask in the glory, I suppose. This, this is a side note. I need to say, if, I, I'm a fan of restaurants. I don't own one, uh, but I am a fan of it. it. We should be a church that on Sundays, and many of you go, and you eat at a restaurant on a Sunday afternoon. When you go, you should invite them to church. We've got little business cards that you can do that, whether it's for your waiter or someone else there. Invite someone to church and tip well. Don't invite them to church if you're not going to tip well. Invite someone to church 
and tip well. And some of you have looked, and I, we talked about this uh, previously, and some will say, well, why, why would I tip 18% uh, to a witch? I, I only give God 10%. Why would I do that? You give God, you're not giving them 18% of your gross income. It's of your meal. <laughs> tip well. Invite them to church. If, I, if this community knew, hey, that's Randall Church. Hey, those people are from Randall Church. They tip well and they invite me to church. That would be a good thing. Side note. I was there at the restaurant listening to two older men in the room clearly have made a fortune doing whatever they And they literally do not know what to do next. They're looking for happiness. They can invest if they want. They don't have to invest. They can go on vacation if they want. They don't have to go on vacation. They just don't know what to do. They will never find what they're looking for. You will never find happiness just looking for it and all those things. Why? Because you never understand that the master finds you happiness when you give it and give it all to him, holding nothing back. Investment recognizes responsibility. Thirdly, investment reveals regrets. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy, servant, slothful, some of your translations say. So you knew that I had not harvested where I have not sown, and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, it would have received it back with interest. Why didn't he do anything? If I called any one of you up here on the stage, giving you a million dollars, there's a zero, none of you, I don't think, We'll come up here, and I'll give you a million dollars. said, what are you going to do with it? I'm going to dig a hole. I'm going to bury it. Why didn't he do anything? I think there's three reasons. First, it says here in the passage, he was afraid. He was afraid. And fear will paralyze you and me. He was afraid. I've shared here before, I am afraid of needles. I do not like to get a shot. And some of you think it's funny to come up afterwards and say, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we held you down and like tackled you and had a syringe and then what would happen? See, listen, I've got like a vasovagal reflex, it's called. That means that I immediately pass out and lay on the ground like a dead person. It makes no sense whatsoever. So if you try that, I will find out what it's like to do prison ministry and you will meet Jesus. <laughs> Fear will paralyze you. Why didn't he do anything? He was afraid. Secondly, he thought, I really believe he thought he had more time. He thought he had more time. He said he went on a long journey. He can't believe that his master is back already. He had a good plan. He thought that he could come up with something. I'll just bury it for a couple of days. Uh, and then procrastination starts to set in. 
Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. Uh, That's what procrastination does. If you decide today, you decide this week, you are going to go on a diet, you're going to go on a weight loss program, you are going to eat better, you are going to start going to the gym, and it gets to be Wednesday, and you said, today's the day. And then you look at the calendar and you say, well, well, it is Wednesday. Nobody starts anything on a Wednesday. I'll start Monday. And then Monday comes around. It rolls around and you get up and you, and you get out of the bed and you start your diet. You start your routine, your regimen. Then you realize, wait a minute. It's November. I'm about to go through Thanksgiving. I'm about to go through Christmas. I should not start this in November. And then you come around, so you get your way through Thanksgiving, you get your way through Christmas, and then New Year's comes around, and you say, okay, it's a new year, it's a new start, and it's on a Thursday. And you realize, well, I shouldn't start on a Thursday. And you procrastinate, and you procrastinate, and you procrastinate, and we keep putting it off because you never thought that your time would be up. He, he, he thought he had more time. Why didn't he do anything? He was afraid. He thought he had more time. And then thirdly, and you can see this in the passage, he didn't know his master. He didn't know his master. When you look at the, pa- the, the passage, he calls his master a hard man. Nowhere else in this passage is there anything that would demonstrate that this man was a hard man. There's nothing else in this passage that would say he was a cruel, hard-fisted employer. There's nothing else in here. He's got this in his mind. He doesn't know his father. He doesn't know his master. We just finished a a, a few months ago a forgiveness series. And anyone that I've talked to as we've come through this, you know how many people that they have issues with their father, that that's where their forgiveness issues really lie? And as a church and as people, we don't know our heavenly father. It's rampant in the church where people literally think that if they mess up, that God the Father is coming down to rule with an iron fist to crush them. How many times have you heard, I can't come into the church because the building would collapse on me? They don't know the Heavenly Father. You don't know the Father. The servant did not know his master. And I don't want you to hold back regretting that you have missed what God has for you because you don't know him. I don't want this church to hold back and find ourselves regretting that we missed the opportunity to invest ourselves in the next generation and what God has for us 50 years from now because we don't know what the Heavenly Father wants and we don't know him and who he is or how he encourages us to move forward because he doesn't want you and he doesn't want me to live a life of regret. He knows what's best for you and wants it all, and doesn't want you to hold back. Investment, lastly, rewards risk. Investment rewards risk. Verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him who gave it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will be given in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How is this possible? Why would he give the one bag of gold to the guy who's already got ten? Why would he do that? Because 
investment rewards risk. If you go back and you look at the passage, it says that he immediately responded. When the master gave him the five, he immediately responded. Remember verse 16, the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. The master goes on the journey and immediately, immediately this man steps out. And the second one as well. These, these servants, they step out and immediately invest what the master has given them. Investment rewards risk. There should be a sense of urgency. Risk says the time is now. We need to step forward now at once, immediately. I'm 36 years old. I'm right at the fringe of people who would know what I'm about to talk about. What I'm talking about is the Blue Mart, excuse me, the Kmart special, the Blue Light special. Those of you who lived through that season, I, I remember just a few times. You'd be in Kmart, you'd be shopping, and there was no Walmart, it was just Kmart. They're the only store in town, they're the big deal. And you'd be walking around minding your own business, and then some high school kid's about getting mugged. He's gonna put up a blue light, the police light, he's gonna put up the blue light special, he's gonna turn it on, and then that light's on, now you come across attention, Kmart shoppers. There's now a sale on aisle seven on toilet paper. And every fool in the store runs to that aisle, whether they need it or not, and they're going to buy tons and tons of toilet paper. Immediacy. Maybe more of a modern day take on that would be our cell phones. If we get a text message, there's an immediacy that, that we feel like we have to look at that text message right now. It does not matter if you are driving a car. It does not matter if you are eating a meal. It doesn't matter, in my case, if you're riding a bike. The rest of you would probably not do that. It doesn't matter if in the middle of an argument with your wife. LOL. And then you go back. Immediacy. Responding with immediacy. And I don't want to just gloss over the final verse in this section on, on verse 30. The wicked servant is thrown outside. And there's plenty of debate on this passage of what it actually means. There are some that believe he's thrown away to an eternity in hell. And there's others that say that's absolutely foolish. But don't base all of your understanding of end times on one verse at the end of a parable. You need to look at a wider range than that. But what we can all agree on is what this man, what this servant found, is that he would wish that he had invested himself more wisely. We can agree on that. See, Christianity is a series of next steps. One small investment after the other. What is your next step? My wife and I, it's, it's probably coming to an end. Uh, there's a TV series called The Amazing Race, and we've been hooked on it for years and years and years. We thought at one point we were going to try to get on the show and race around the world and all that. And it's been a number of years ago, but at the end of, of one of the seasons, just before the final episode where there's, there's three teams left and they get to race and there's a, there's a prize of a million dollars waiting at the end, <coughs> They were on one of those 
pyramids, not like the ones in Egypt, but like the Mayan pyramids that have all the steps that go up to the side of it. They had climbed up the, the top of that pyramid, not realizing that on the other side, when they got to the top, was the finish line for that leg of the race. And the first three through to that finish line would now be able to compete for a million dollars. And this husband and wife team got to the top and they looked down on the other side and there is the finish line. And they are at least an hour, maybe two hours ahead of any of the other teams. And all they have to do is go down a water slide down to the bottom, step on the carpet, and now you have a chance at a million dollars. And this wife would not go down that water slide. And they cheered for her. They clapped for her, told her how beautiful she was. Everything that they could to get her to go down that slide. One team passed her. An hour, so they'd been there for an hour. A team passed. A second team passed. Now, if they wanted the third slot in the final thing, they would have to go down the slide. And literally, the camera crew, the cameras get all crazy because the camera crew and the people, the producers, all of them had to catch and hold the husband down because he almost threw his wife down (laughs) the water slide. She was going to have to take that step herself. They didn't get it. John Piper says, to be obedient is to risk what you have for the kingdom of God. Very quickly, this is not just something that I'm pulling out of this passage. Think about the entirety of Scripture, how we see this. David and Goliath. David stepped into the battle that day having no idea how that battle would turn out. But he was going to risk it, and he was going to risk it for the sake of God. Later in the same passage, uh, in the same chapter, 1 Samuel, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they're going into battle. They're going into battle. It's just he and his armor bearer, and all of the Philistine camp is at the top of a cliff. And he and his armor bearer climb to the top. He says, come with me. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. If I'm his armor bearer, I'm like, listen, we're climbing this mountain and fighting against thousands of people on perhaps Perhaps God will come and fight on our behalf. Esther, when Queen Esther went before the king to plead for the lives of her people, she was putting her own life at great risk. She had no idea what the outcome would be. No special revelation from God. But she said, if I perish, I perish. Today I'm going to step out and take risks. Paul, his entire life was one of risk. Here's how John Piper describes it. He says, Paul never knew where the next blow would come from. Every day he risked his life for the cause of God. The roads weren't safe. The rivers weren't safe. His own people, the Jews, weren't safe. The Gentiles weren't safe. The cities weren't safe. The wilderness wasn't safe. The sea wasn't safe. Safety was a mirage. It simply does not exist for the Apostle Paul. And then you look at that New Testament church. It's an example of a generation who chose to risk. They had no right to exist. Every time they preached, they were going to be thrown in prison. Every time that they gathered, every time that they started to grow, they were going to be, the iron fist of Rome was going to crush them, whether it was through taxes or through brutal force. They was going to shut them down. They were in danger of being hauled before the authorities and executed any time that they met. And yet, they risked. Why? This isn't in your notes, which you may want to write it down. Risking is dangerous, 
not risking is more dangerous. Risking is dangerous. Not risking is more dangerous. What risks may God be calling you to invest yourself in today? How is he calling you to invest today as the band is coming up? Maybe, maybe there's a new ministry that God has put on your heart, a new way that you are supposed to serve here in the church. Maybe you've been considering and now you need to make that step for foster care or for adoption. You're ready to take that next step there. Uh, maybe it's just as simple as forgiving someone. We just came through the series, Radical Forgiveness, a few months ago. And there's some of you that, that know that God was asking you to take a next step, to invest yourself in that relationship, and yet you just dug a hole and buried it in the ground. Maybe it's sharing Christ with someone. Maybe it's trying to reorder your marriage and living your marriage out the way God intended for it to be. Maybe it's courageously waiting knowing that God has a better plan for you and for marriage and refusing to compromise that. Maybe it's obeying God and how you run your business and choosing to run it with integrity when it's so easy to do something else. Maybe as we're coming through this series and God we trust and we are talking about money, and you're asking God, if I give you the first fruits, how am I going to pay the rest of my bills? How am I going to, to get that, to the next step? That risk is almost more than I'm ready to do. How am I going to make it? This morning, would you hold nothing back and invest it all? Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable, the way that it still speaks to our lives in a very real way tangible way this morning. It's hard, Lord, to take risk. It's hard to step out, Lord. But that's what you're calling us to. I pray that there has been something prodding this morning to each person in this congregation that they cannot leave without responding to what you have told them today. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.